Okay, well, like I said, for the last seven weeks, we've been in this series called uh, What You Believe Matters, and we've been working our way through this our statement of faith. It's a list of, of nine uh, statements uh, that identify uh, characteristics and truths that, we, that emerge out of the Bible, uh, that mark us as a Christian community, that shape our worship, that shape our practice in life. And this week, uh, we're looking at an eschatological statement of faith, one that looks forward to the end times, one that says something uh, about how, how th- things are going to end and, and, and move into eternity, and, and how that knowledge and that truth and that understanding of that can now shape how we live. And the statement of faith that we're looking at is the physical resurrection of the dead and the final judgment of all people by the Lord Jesus Christ. So I think we originally thought the return of Jesus, but we're looking at two specific elements of of that return. Now, this is two sermons, so it should have been two sermons. So, so it's kind of a little imbalance. It's, a, it's, it's heavy on the resurrection side of things this morning and a little nod to the judgment. But at some point, I'm going to preach another sermon on that somewhere. So, so like, just don't freak out and go, oh, you missed half the sermon. I know, I know, I wrote it. So it's all good. And, um, and, and then my, oh, I'm, I'm, I should stay away from PowerPoints. I'm terrible at them, but I kind of had it there but then I just so you're just going to get the Bible references as we go along just so you know where we're at and hopefully you can write them down and uh, keep in track with that probably doesn't make any sense but that's what we're doing and Steve's in charge of that so if it goes crazy blame Steve all right um, our modern culture uh, has this kind of design your own spirituality approach to life and 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 that's sort of where we're at and there's even, it's not just modern, there's ancient views like that, like the Gnostics would, would, would dream up things. And we've got Eastern religions and Hinduism, uh, Buddhism, and all these thoughts all kind of hold a view. What's common about all of these things is that they hold a view uh, that the soul which inhabits our body is of greater purpose that it is more meaningful, that it it is more determinative of who we are and and what we'll become. The body is something temporal, it is something transitional, uh, it's something that's not the real representation of who we are, how we feel is a more accurate representation of who we are, so the body can be discarded, the body uh, can even be reorganized to suit how we feel, this sort of stuff. So if there is a life after death, then being free from this restrictive and ill-fitting kind of physical outfit into one that more accommodates how we feel uh, or, 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 or even just the loss and just disappearing into, into the, the great unknown is a more envisaged, more preferred future. Maybe as Pat Monaghan, he's the lead singer of Train, sings a song called Drops of Jupiter. He says, you know, a soul. We go on a soul vacation, or his grandmother or his mother did. We just some some cosmic voyage throughout the, the, the universe of self-discovery. And there's even this line where, where, where heaven is a place that's confining and overrated. We just need to be free to zoom around and self-discover and, and do all this sort of stuff. Our understanding of life after death is, is as varied and uh, customized as our own imaginations want it to, do, to be. And the more and more and more these, these ideas come out, 
the more and more their relationship uh, to the goodness and the permanency of, of what is physical and the limitations of what is physical are, are totally discarded and, and to be gotten rid of and, and just sort of uh, to have nothing to do with in a way. But the Bible and Jesus give us a very different view of life past death called the resurrection. That our bodies will be raised, and not in some uh, spiritual kind of ethereal sense, but physically and materially. And that our souls, uh, which Paul in, in 2 Corinthians 5 there, particularly in verse 8, says our souls that are absent from the body, but still present with the Lord. So it's not that they've switched off or gone asleep or anything like that. They're continuously alive, continuously conscious of who we are in the presence of Jesus, that our souls will be reunited back with our bodies, our transformed bodies that are brought back to life at the resurrections. Bodies which Paul has described at the beginning of chapter 5, these resurrection bodies, as being far greater than, than the ones we inhabit now. More, more glorious, like he says, this earthly tent. And then it's going to be a house. So there's this movement up. And that they'll be without shame. And that they'll be without decay because they've been transformed with life. And that is not just animated and physically alive. That's, that's life as a quality of life that we experience in relationship with God. It's, it's that kind of vision that Paul has there. And these bodies that are resurrected are fit to fit the picture of heaven that we find in the book of Revelation. Living with God in a recreated world where there is no sin uh, and none of the effects of sin. Revelation 21.4, we, we hear you know, God being described as wiping tears from our eyes. So you know, I was thinking about that this morning. That's, whether it's literal or metaphor, I think it's probably both. There's God with us, pictured as wiping tears from eyes, from, from people. Uh, but the main point is that there's going to be none of the effects of sins. There's no death. There'll be no more of that. There'll be no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. And the former things... Everything connected to sin and this broken world has passed away, has gone. The goal for humanity in the Bible is not to be freed from our physical existence, but to have it redeemed, have it transformed into something uh, truly human, something fully human. And as I kind of picture it, I think more like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden before the fall. That's the picture that Paul is painting in Romans 8, in Romans 8, 18 to 23, where, we, where he talks about us longing, longing, longing to be in our resurrected bodies, longing to be free, but not longing to be free from the constraints of the physical. We long to have the physical free from the constraints of sin. We long to be truly human. What the Christian hope, what the Christian hope is built on is not some... Uh, disembodied existence in an extraterrestrial place uh, called heaven, but resurrection life in the new creation with new transformed bodies where God himself will be physically present. I know God's a spirit, but there he'll be with us, his people with God in this new creation. So the resurrection is this event that both ends what's been and bridges us to the age uh, to come, what's next. And there's going to be a lot of discontinuity from 
our, from the previous life between the two ages. And that's what Paul again writes about in 1 Corinthians 15:52 that the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed, like there'll be a total change of who we are. There's discontinu- discontinuity, but there's also, with respect to who we are, an amount of continuity. The person in eternity has a concrete, continuous, meaningful connection to the person who lived on this side of eternity. We get an uh, indication of this when Moses and Elijah turn up uh, to have a little chat with Jesus uh, in Matthew or in Luke 9. I think it's in Matthew 17 as well. Uh, You know, some 900, 1200 years after they die, they turn up, they're having a chat with Jesus. And while there's something glorious about them, they appeared in glory. There's also something recognizable, physical. There's something ordinary about Moses and Elijah. You can see them, you can touch them. Like Peter wants to build a house for them. You don't build houses for spirits. You build houses for people to be sheltered in and, and, and that kind of thing. But there's also something next level about Moses and Elijah when they turn up. We also see in Jesus that he is recognizable as well post-resurrection. Um, you know, when he's not veiling his identity, uh, his standard appearance is recognizable uh, to that of when he walked the earth. He, he looks the way he looked, uh, and Jesus rather uniquely has the scars of his death. That's not something we're going to have, but that is something unique to Jesus. So we know that there's continuity, and we know that there's discontinuity. It's also clear that before we get fitted with our resurrected bodies, that we will face judgment. And often in, in the Bible, the resurrection and judgment are linked together as this event that happens at the end of time. So what you did as a physical person is considered meaningful and significant. You often hear someone will say, well, actually, hopefully you don't hear this too often, but often used as a rationalization for, say, something like an affair or something that somebody did, it didn't mean anything. I mean, it was just sex. Like what we do physically can be separated from who we are responsibly. However, the Bible holds us accountable as a physical being, not merely as a spiritual being, and tells us that what we do physically, as well as what we do mentally, spiritually, will be taken into account in determining our eternal destiny. God designed our bodies to be used relationally and physically to give him glory and also to give meaning uh, to personal relationships with each other and creation our deeds and what motivates us towards them will be considered public evidence towards affirming or denying the existence of of transforming faith in jesus uh often what the first fruits is paul talks about these things as the first fruits whether the first fruits of eternal life Uh, The beginning of transformation, again, Paul writes about this in Romans 8. Like Romans 8 is probably the greatest passage in the Bible, but I'll probably say that about a lot of passages, so take that with a grain of salt. So Paul writes about that. He talks about the first fruits, and then then if that evidence is there, if that life is there, then then that's going to be examined and exposed uh, at the judgment. But to be clear, salvation is by faith. And rewards in heaven are by faith. But the evidence of invisible faith 
in the judgment hall of Christ will be a transformed life. Our deeds are not the basis of our salvation. They are the evidence of our salvation. They're not the foundation of it. They are the demonstration of it. And they will be examined to confirm what kind of resurrection body awaits us. You know, Jesus says in, in John's Gospel in chapter 5, verses 24 to 29, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has eternal life in him, so he has granted the Son also to have eternal life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear this voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. We get this picture of the resurrection being connected to judgment and these kind of things. Now, the reason that the New Testament writers write with such certainty about these things, why they write with such certainty about a physical resurrection of the dead is not merely because Jesus uh, spoke about it. Like the idea of a resurrection exists uh, in the Old Testament, in Daniel and places, but it is because Jesus became and is uh, the pattern for our resurrected bodies. Sam Aubrey points out that there is no greater compliment that you can pay the human body or the physical existence than the word became flesh. God has not seen his creation as something to discard and destroy, but something to come and redeem, uh, something to come and transform uh, through a relationship with a creative God. Sin is decreational. Sin destroys and undoes and unravels and, and tears everything apart, creates separation and, and disorder. So only relationship with a creative God can confront it and reverse it and make all things new. And the fact that there is still at the right hand of the Father right now a human body the lord jesus christ means physicality uh, that god gave us and designed for us is permanent and good and it is the permanent and good design for humanity which is why paul writes in philippians 3 20 to 21 for our citizenship is in heaven from which we also from which also we eagerly wait for our savior the lord jesus christ who will transform our bodies from our humble estate this lowly estate uh, into conformity with the body of his glory here paul teaches us that jesus resurrection body is a pattern for our resurrection body Look, the, the, we're going to be transformed from our lowly bodies into something that more resembles the one that Jesus now lives in. We know that this body of Jesus post-resurrection was physical because of one of the first things he did uh, with his disciples was to ask them, lads, any fish and chips handy? I'd like to have a bite to eat. And then while he's doing that, the opportunity to examine him. See the hands, and he talks about a spirit doesn't have flesh and blood and bones like me. Examine me, poke fingers in the holes of my body. He's being examined. It is also clear that there is something different about Jesus too. 
He's been reunited with the glory that he had set aside. Like Philippians talks about how Jesus set aside his glory. In John 17, Jesus talks about, return me to the glory that I had uh, with you in eternity. And now that's it. Matthew 28, he talks about all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So Jesus is now not limited anymore as he was in his physical ministry, but he's still physical, but he has this something uh, glorious and, and even supernatural about Jesus now. Like he turns up in rooms that have got locked doors. Now, I'm not saying we're going to be able to do that, but, but he can because he's God. But like Jesus, we will be recognizable in our bodies, in our physical appearance. Indeed, our self-identity remains intact. And the uniform, consistent voice of Scripture is that we will be transformed that our, from, from lowly to glorious, from perishable to imperishable, from death as our enemy to eternity as our reality. And this is the reality that Paul is painting in 1 Corinthians 15, that bodies buried perishable will be raised imperishable, that bodies buried in dishonor will be raised in glory, that bodies buried in weakness will be raised in power. And C.S. Lewis writes about this and he speculates about this, that if you were to see your resurrected heavenly self just kind of coming to you, walking down the street, you would be tempted to worship that creature, that being is how different and how similar, though, we will be. Paul also describes the resurrection of Jesus in terms of first fruits. In 1 Corinthians 15, 20, we have, so he talks about Jesus being the first fruit. So we have in Jesus a visual guarantee of what we can look forward to. By describing Jesus as the first fruits, Paul is saying, you know, the final action that God has planned for the end of time, this ancient promise that God is going to make everything right again and restore the world and, and, and resurrect the bodies of faithful from all the ages. Well, Jesus is the resurrection. Jesus' resurrection is the first fruits. He's the guarantee of what, of what we can anticipate. He is the in time and space evidence that God can and will do this, that he can and will bring people back to eternal life. And we've got a foretaste of what is coming in the resurrected person of Jesus. But it's not just that visual picture that we got. Before, as we become Christian, we already get this uh, new experience of what it is to be a Christian. We often talk that we are new creatures. We are a new creation. The old is gone. The new is coming. But we're still in this physical body. But something regenerate has happened within us. And so, so Paul talks about us experience our first fruits encounter. And Paul describes it, this as the evidence in us of the new life to come. So you've already been given this deposit. You've already been given this guarantee of, of things to come, of taste of things. And Paul describes this as being changed from glory to glory in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And again in Romans 8, he explains that the reason that we long for the redemption of our bodies is because of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, which is what Paul is calling the first fruits. The resurrection completes the work that God has begun, the transformation that is underway. This is why... Paul calls the resurrection of Jesus the most crucial aspect of the Christian faith and witness. And he talks about that in 1 Corinthians 15. 
And, and he says later on in the passage, he said, if Jesus is not raised from the dead, if we don't have this evidence, this first fruits evidence, if we don't have this pattern to guarantee us what is coming, uh, this is all fictional, this is all made up, then Christians, you Christians are the most deluded and miserable people on the earth because you're believing a lie. So the resurrection becomes the cornerstone, doesn't it? The evidential cornerstone of, of faith. And there's plenty of evidence for it. That's another sermon. Uh, we'll get into that another time. There is no greater prospect, uh, future of hope for the human body than the one that Jesus has won for it. By becoming flesh, by dying in flesh, and by being raised back to physical existence, this is the evidential in history, a historic guarantee that that is the future of the Christian reality. I mean, this is the gospel, isn't it, really? That God has died as one of us on our behalf, that we might become more like him in order that we can live with him, in order that we can be back in relationship with him. Which is why Peter writes in 1 Peter 1 there, uh, verse 3, Praise be to God the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, I am not sure how uh, the resurrection, how the mechanics of it, how the physics of it, how this is all going to take place, all the actual science of it, the, the new heavens and the new earth and the new body. And, you know, Peter talks about it in 2 Peter 3, and he says, the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, boom, and heavenly bodies will be burnt up. You know, the world, everything burns and, and, and dissolve, and the earth and the works that are done on it will, will be exposed. So, so, complete end of everything and everything being brought to an end and, and judgment in that same moment so what's going on there and then john speaks in revelation that there'll be a, a new heaven and a, and a new earth in revelations 21 and how how all this happens i don't know how god makes all things new while holding um, in place, real and genuine continuance is just a little above my pay grade. So I went to First Philippians 3.20 again, and there Paul talks about our, our, our waiting for Jesus, for his return, and our experience of the life to come to be transformed, uh, and, and the transforming of our lowly bodies into our heavenly bodies. And there he says, it's all possible because of the unlimited power of Jesus and our relationship to him. We read it earlier, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. And then Paul goes on, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. There's a, a, a new, this is the new Jesus where everything in the universe is his toy. That's probably a bad way of describing it. 
But think through the language of how we are united to this Jesus. Paul uses 160 references about um, how even in this disordered state of being that that we have received the first fruits of eternal life, that, that we have life in this resurrected Jesus. There's something in this relationship that's going to be eternal even now. And there's something about us and our relationship with Jesus that is fit for eternity. But there is a lot of uh, about us that is not and will not be there. But Jesus at his return is going to transform everything that is not fit for eternity. Everything that has been frustrated by sin and everything that we feel at odds with into something glorious and as we've said, as C.S. Lewis said, as something that if we saw it now, we'd be tempted to worship. In Jesus, our bodies have a future. They are going to be resurrected and they are going to be made new, renewed, new bodies. And as Paul says, that is not a problem for you and I to try and work out, to try and get our minds around. Paul says that Jesus will approach this as one in whom all things have been subjected to. You know, the last thing that Jesus told his disciples in Matthew, in Matthew 28, is that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. And we often say, well, if that's true, then push all your chips into the middle of the table and do whatever Jesus tells you to do. But it's not just about obedience, it's about authority over all things. And Paul writes in Colossians 1-2 that Jesus actually holds the world together through the authority of his word. He's just holding this whole joint together. So every law of the universe, every knowable wisdom, every fact, every figure, everything about biology, physics, chemistry, Every ontological consideration that that, that we could come up with is all subject to, is all the property of, is all just the handy tool at the disposal of Jesus as he gets about making all things new. But as he does that, it is not at the cost uh, of our history, it is not at the cost of your identity So listen, you might be sitting here thinking, how will Jesus deal with my infirmity or dysphoria or appearance or addiction or the weaknesses of this frail frail body? I don't actually know. But Paul, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, says he will do it through the power in which all of reality is Jesus' servant. Like it just does whatever he says to do. So trust me, you are not that special that Jesus can't at the resurrection take your lowly body, however messed up it is, however maybe you went through World War II and your body got blown apart into 15 different places. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 52, at the twinkling of an eye, we'll be raised from the dead, changing us from something perishable, something subject to corruption and frustration, to something imperishable, something eternal, something free from all the effects of sin, something glorious, something eternal. And not just the dead at that time. Not when Jesus comes back, there'll be plenty of alive people. And they will go through the same transformation, which is probably another conversation. What this means is that this life that we live now will not be our only exposure and experience of physical life so for some of us maybe for all of us our best physical days are not in our past our best physical days are in our future 
So here's what the resurrection, is, as the Bible gives us a window into, means that suffering and pain are not your eternal story. Like I cannot wait for the day where I don't have to wonder whether my next move is going to cripple me and put me on the floor as the two buggered discs in my back just say, not today, brother. Living under the effects of sin, what we've done in our body and what's been done to our body is not our eternal story. Being frustrated with the decay of our physical bodies and our life is not our eternal story. There's more to come. There's a better story being written. But listen, your new eternal body will not merely be about your capacity to enjoy life. It will be about its capacity to enjoy God, to live as it was designed to live, to worship God as it was designed to worship God. We will finally be able to live towards God fully. We will finally be able to be fully human and use our bodies as an instrument of worship, uh, as an instrument that images uh, God's purposes in the world. As Paul says, this is indeed a great hope of the Christian life, that Jesus makes all things new, including you, including me, for his glory and for our deep hope now and joy. Let's pray. Loving God, we thank you uh, for this. It's kind of like our last... A statement of faith that speaks into how we live now about promises to come that we haven't been left just to decreation that we haven't just been left to frustration that in Jesus we see the model of how you're gonna re-restore us redeem us turn us into the creatures that you in, initially in, intended us to be for now, we have the first fruits of that. The Spirit comes into our lives and, and begins to transform us. And we see, we see our lives changing, but we still live in this body of sin and we're still afflicted by various things. But we know that as you have given us this sign of regeneration that we genuinely experience in this life, we know through that, we know through the resurrection of Jesus um, that your promise that we can be fully human, living in relationship with you in all eternity is, is a certain foundation of our lives. Uh, would we kind of think into this more, consider this more? Uh, would it shape how we live and, and understand life now? And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.